I meant to apologize for the way I'm dressed. This is the way I came on, off the plane. I slept in, this is my pajamas, I guess you would say. <laughs> uh, and, and I brought a complete change of clothes. But Nick convinced me that it's okay, so. All right. And thank you for letting me sit down. I think probably I'll be glad at the end of the day I didn't stand or, so you're being very kind to me. I think I will speed up going through this. Uh, I don't want to leave anything out either. It's, 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 I've not done this before, and you're the guinea pigs, and I really only finished half of what I have prepared for, for the first session. Um, let me come to uh, the third thing that I wanted to talk about, and uh, I hope I don't go too fast. Uh, this is going to be a hard call at what stage. Let's just pause for prayer. I think that's the, the next thing we should do. Heavenly Father, I just want your guidance. Uh, I want to say everything I need to say and leaving nothing out that's pertinent. And give me the leadership of your spirit in what to leave out, what to say, and that everything will be clear. That's the thing. I want it to be clear and a blessing and life-changing. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, the Holy Spirit. There are five aspects of the Holy Spirit's work as taught in Galatians. Uh, let me give the five and then elaborate as maybe I need to. The five are, one, immediate witness of the Spirit. Two, miraculous gifts of the Spirit. Three, the transfer of anointing by way of laying on of hands. Fourth, the earnest of our inheritance. And fifth, the achieved righteousness which outclasses the law. Uh, now I'll need to fill in that a little bit. Uh, in chapter 3, verse 2, when Paul uh, registers his disappointment with them that they could desert this gospel, he wants to point out something that they hadn't thought of. He says, I just want to learn one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Well, they'd have to admit it was from what they heard. For one thing, they didn't even know about the law that much. These are, these are uh, uh, heathen. These are Gentiles. They haven't been schooled into the law. And what is so funny is he says later on, he says, you're even keeping holy days. Well, they had never heard of them. Now they're keeping them. Uh, the, 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 the Galatians, uh, these Judaizers bringing into the Galatians stuff. Paul didn't even want them to know. He didn't even want them to know about this. And here the Judaizers teaching them. All right. The immediate witness of the Holy Spirit. When he says, did you receive the Spirit? Uh, he's not referring to regeneration. Uh, Paul knows that they know that it was a conscious, memorable experience. Regeneration is 
an unconscious work of the Holy Spirit. People say, I can tell you the day I was saved. I know what they mean by that. What they really are saying, I can tell you the day I came into assurance of my salvation. But regeneration started months before then. Uh, and you, you, you don't know at what point regeneration started. Uh, it leads to things being clear. Uh, uh, Augustus Toplady, uh, encouraging people who couldn't tell you when they were saved. You know, there are some people who say, if you don't know the hour, the day you were saved, you haven't been converted. And it makes everybody else feel bad if they can't remember when. Augustus Toplady says, you may know the sun is up, although you were not awake the moment it arose. So regeneration is an unconscious work of the Spirit. That is not what Paul's talking about here. He is talking about a conscious work of the Spirit, a memorable thing. And so we're talking about the immediate and direct witness of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit himself coming. Uh, now, uh, I'm going to pass over some stuff here that has to do with the way the Puritans understood uh, the Holy Spirit. Uh, some people today only teach what I would call a soteriological work of the Spirit. I'll explain what I mean. Sot soteriology refers to salvation. And people who would say, they, of course we believe in the Holy Spirit. You can't be saved apart from the Holy Spirit. But the only understanding of the Spirit some people have is where the Holy Spirit applies the Word. And that's what's happening today. You see, this, the Holy Spirit is applying what I'm saying. And, and, and we, we're dead without it. But that's not the immediate witness. The immediate witness of the Spirit is something that comes to you and it can be when you're driving in your car or at home and, and you're not even reading the Bible. It, it is an immediate and a direct work of the Spirit. Uh, and so what happened to these Galatians was, was that. It was an immediate and direct witness. And they all thought, Whoo, God is so real. The Holy Spirit is so real. And it's all so clear. Uh, and Paul says, I know you had that. Did that come by the works of the law? And they'd have to say, well, you're right about that. It didn't come by the works of the law. It was just by the hearing. Uh, you know, some people have a, their trinity. is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Bible. Uh, and, and for people like that, it's a soteriological understanding of the Holy Spirit. And that's all they have. Well, this is an immediate and direct. Okay, that's the, that's the first thing Galatians teaches. The second is the gifts of the Spirit, miraculous gifts uh, of the Spirit. And he says to them in verse 5 of chapter 3, Does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you've heard? Uh, the gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 8 to 10, are sovereignly given and by the way, they are without repentance. Uh, what that means is you didn't repent in order to get them. 
and they are also irrevocable. And this is uh, scary when you realize it, that having a gift of the Spirit is not proof of spirituality. Has nothing to do sometimes with your own walk with the Lord. Uh, the proof of that is King Saul. On his way to kill David, he prophesied. Figure that one out. On his way to kill David, the Spirit of God comes on him and he prophesies. And if you'd have been present, you think, well, there's a man of God if I ever saw one. And the people today, if they have the gifts of the Spirit, they think they've got the anointing, they think they're pleasing the Lord. It doesn't prove a thing. So, important though they are, don't take the gifts of the Spirit as proof that you're walking with the Lord. Because these Galatians had those too. Then there is the transfer of anointing via laying on of hands. The authorized version says, He therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit. Uh, the Greek, epikorygegon, the one supplying. So almost certainly, the way they received the immediate direct was through the laying on of hands. Uh, then there is the earnest or pinnacle of our inheritance. Uh, we are redeemed and given faith in order that we might receive the promise of the Spirit. And this is to be seen as the most desirable component of redemption and our inheritance. Uh, when the Holy Spirit uh, lets you know how real God is, and it's the earnest of your inheritance. Do you know, on the day of Pentecost, I think this is something often overlooked. When Peter finished preaching, they, they all said to him, well, now what must we do? You know, we, we, you've got us. We agree. Tell us. You know what they wanted? Do you know what they wanted? It wasn't just Peter's preaching that convicted them. You know what they wanted? At the beginning of the day, when they were all carrying on like wild people, that they said they've got new wine, those Jews said, I'd like that. I'd like that. And, and, and that was so impressed them. Uh, and it wasn't just their speaking in tongues either. I, I, when we get to heaven, we'll get a video replay of what was going on. Don't be surprised if they were laughing their heads off. Don't be surprised if they were rolling on the floor uh, because people wouldn't accuse them of being drunk just because they're speaking in tongues. Uh, they're, they're, they were drunk. And, 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 but although they were cynical, not all were cynical, and the truth is they all said, Oh, I'd like that. I never will forget. I was talking to a doctor's wife in London, and she is a very upper-class, uh, gentry-bred uh, woman. And she heard me tell about my wife, Louise, and how Louise was impacted by the ministry of Rodney Howard Brown. And how Louise laughed her head off for 45 minutes. It, uh, and uh, uh, she came back to London. And, and, and one of the things that saved me at Westminster Chapel when we brought in all this is that the people respected Louise so much. And when they saw what it did to her. And this doctor's wife said to me, 
when she heard about Louise. And this is a very staid, upper-class woman. She said, I'd give anything in the world if that happened to me. You see, that was what they, in, on the day of Pentecost, Peter says, repent and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. See, that's what they wanted. That's what they wanted. They wanted the same thing. And they were impressed with Peter. They were impressed. They wanted that. Repent and you can receive this. All right. The point is, we're talking about this uh, pinnacle of our inheritance. And the fifth thing, um, achieved righteousness which outclasses the law. Now, forgive me. I need an hour for this. But in Matthew 5.20, Jesus said, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And uh, we're talking now about how the Holy Spirit will enable you to manifest a righteousness that goes beyond anything the Pharisees even thought about. This is why Jesus said, if you hate, you've committed murder. If you lust or cause a, a woman to lust, you've committed adultery. Pharisees didn't think like, like that, didn't enter their minds. They just thought if they haven't committed murder, they, they're free. They haven't physically slept with a woman, well, they, they're free. Jesus said, wrong. When you cause a woman to lust, you've already done it. All right. The righteousness that outclasses the law comes through this immediate direct witness of the Holy Spirit so that you uh, will manifest a level of godliness and righteousness. And now, you see, we're beginning to see that the same gospel that will give you the hint that, well, it doesn't matter how you live because you're going to be saved anyway. Ah, when you persist in the same gospel, it will result in this immediate and direct witness of the Spirit and will show a godliness that will dazzle the world. And so if you think uh, our gospel means live as you please, wrong. Uh, if you don't think it, you didn't get it. But if that's what you thought, you didn't get it. <laughs> the Holy Spirit will lead you to a righteousness that outclasses the law. Well, uh, I think... Uh, I probably should spend a minute or two on the law. I haven't got there. You think we have, but you haven't. Uh, you see, we have here the illustration of Abraham. Uh, whatever would Paul do without Abraham? He'd have a hard time. But you see, he had Abraham on his side. Abraham's justification came in around 1700 B.C., 430 years before the law ever came. The law came in around 1300 B.C. Abraham lived in 1700 B.C. And so all that happened to Abraham was before he was circumcised and, and, and there wasn't any law. And what Paul is saying here is that we are in Abraham's position. Uh, the law might not have even come in. Uh, because it came in because of the transgressions of the people. All right. What he first does is to show the folly of, of relying on the law. 
And if there's anybody here today, uh, you're not convinced yet, and you say, R.T., I'm not sure I agree with you, uh, I would put to you what uh, Paul put. He said, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. This is what Paul means. If you want to bring in the law, you are not allowed to pick and choose as to which part of the law you're going to emphasize. You've got to take the whole load. And you've got to go the whole thing. And be sure you know what you're asking for. If you want to live with the law, go for it. And that's all you get. Because you're not allowed to have it both ways. You are not allowed to do it. And so, cursed is anyone, says Paul. Cursed is anyone who relies on observing the law. And because you are under a curse, the law requires total obedience. You see, the law is not of faith. Uh, I read into a young lady the other day. I was in Boise, Idaho. And uh, the lady uh, uh, said to me something, and it was so beautiful, I, I wrote it down. She had just been, she'd been converted right out of the world. And, and, and she got into a church that was very legalistic. And she said, I was doing all those works and keeping the law, but when you do that, you don't need faith. And I realized you can't please God without faith. And on her own, she could see when they were making her do all these legalistic things, she was losing the joy uh, and, and she wasn't needing faith. She was just going by the law because the law is not a faith. You can't have it both ways. And this is what Habakkuk saw long ago. The just shall live by his faithfulness. All right. Here's another point. Uh, Paul says the law does not set aside the promise. Now, if I had a blackboard, what I would do is, is, is consider a linear, a, a long line. Uh, here's creation. The fall. And then comes Abraham. And then 400 years later comes the law. And 1300 years after that, Jesus dies on the cross. That era, from the time of the law brought in until Jesus died on the cross, is a parenthesis. Brackets. Like in the middle of a sentence. And once Jesus died on the cross... It puts us back to Abraham. So the, as, though, as though the law were never there. So from the start, the law was brought in. It was never brought in as a permanent thing. It was only brought in because of the transgressions of the people. If the people of Israel hadn't been so wicked, they wouldn't have been brought in the law in the first place. This is, this is what happened. So had Israel... Uh, the purpose of the law, chapter 3, verse 19. What was the purpose of the law? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. Had Israel not sinned so terribly, the law would never have been brought in. The law produced obedience through fear of punishment. This is the way the law works. It's as though God puts a pistol to your head and says, you do this. Uh, and by the way, it, it works. I mean, you, it, it will keep you from doing 
wicked things. When you're told you're going to be stoned, uh, you're probably not going to commit adultery. Uh, any, any law will, will modify your behavior. Never will forget uh, parking my car in a place in Mayfair where it had on the street, uh, so it looked to me like somebody just painted on the street, uh, ambassador. And uh, I thought, well, that's not legal. Somebody just painted that on the street. And I had to go inside this hotel, and so I parked there. And uh, I came out 30 minutes later, and my car wasn't there. <laughs> and uh, came back in and said, uh, I'm in trouble. I don't see my car. I said, where'd you park? I said, well, out there with, you know, it said ambassador. He said, oh, you're, you shouldn't have done that. Do you know, hours later, plus 65 pounds, plus the, the, the ticket I got from the city of London, came over 100 pounds, uh, I get my car back. Believe me, I never parked there again. The law worked, you see, through fear of punishment. That's the way obedience was done throughout the Old Testament. It's through fear of punishment. Well, Paul says there's a better way to live. The Holy Spirit will give you a desire to please God and follow Him, and you're going to do everything the law said, and you didn't even know the law told you to do that. What Paul wanted to do with these Galatians is to produce in them saints that lived clean lives and never even had heard that there was a law. You don't need to, to, to be told the law in order to live a holy life. There are those who think, well, you'll never know. Believe me, the Holy Spirit will not allow you to live a lawless way. Or if you think it does, then you don't have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will lead you in godliness. All right. Inheritance. The bottom line issue of Galatians Inheritance is based entirely on promise, not the works of the law. I would define inheritance as God's ultimate blessing for his people. It is the reward of persistent faith. It is achieving faith. Psalm 47 verse 4, he chose our inheritance for us. And the essence of it is promise of the Spirit and what walking in the Spirit leads to. We should aspire to receive the full measure of our inheritance and not come short of it the, the slightest bit. So the Galatians were in danger of blowing away their inheritance. How? By turning to the law. They were turning to bondage so needlessly. And so Paul brings in the word inheritance in chapter 3, verse 18. He shows this is what he had in mind all along. Inheritance is by promise, not the law. The way Abraham received his inheritance is how we too will receive ours, by persistent faith. Uh, this comes out in Romans chapter 4. Uh, Abraham's inheritance. Uh, Sarah one day gave birth to Isaac. Uh, Abraham got discouraged along the way and decided... He needed to make it happen, so he slept with Hagar. And Hagar had Ishmael, and, he, and Abraham thought, okay, that's, that's it. That's the way God's going to do it. Didn't realize that at the time, but uh, 
Ishmael's from my loins, and uh, that's the way God meant to do it. And God didn't say anything for a while, and then one day God says, Oh, by the way, Abraham, Ishmael's not it. Sarah will conceive. Sarah, she's 90 and I'm 100. He laughed, she laughed. But by persistent faith, that happened. It wasn't by works of the law that that happened. Just by believing the promise, and he did. And Isaac was born. Well, uh, I've been a bit unfair to you in the last 15 minutes because I've hurried. Uh, but that pretty much is the first section although you needed probably a lot more time than I gave you. But let's move on. Um, I want uh, in the next uh, 20 minutes, let's just go to, for 20 minutes, and I'll do my very best to uh, summarize chapters 4, 5, and 6 of Galatians. Uh, Paul's pastoral gift is seen more than ever in this part. And he uses every bit of his persuasive powers to rescue them. They had become enamored by the law. And the Judaizers had undermined Paul's influence. And the Galatians foolishly listened to them. And were in danger of forfeiting their inheritance. There's an interesting verse in 2 John. The second epistle of John, verse 8. Don't let anybody cause you to lose your inheritance. Uh, don't let it happen. And so the Galatians were about to lose their inheritance because they listened to the Judaizers. All right. These are assumptions of Paul in Galatians. Number one, the Galatians were truly converted people despite their being influenced by the Judaizers. Paul is not worried whether they were saved. He fears for their souls in other ways. He believes he can win them back. Chapter 5, verse 10, he says, I'm confident in the Lord you will take no other view. All right, why is this part of Galatians so important? One, it shows the importance of pastoral ministry, even if the issue is theological. Two, it shows how to approach those overtaken in a sin including a theological error. Chapter 6, verse 1 says, if someone is caught in a sin, and it wouldn't matter what kind of sin, theological sin, moral sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently, but watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. All right. His pastoral approach is this. He affirms them as children of God. Now, this is very, very important. Some of you may have members in your church that are giving you trouble. And you might, if you're not careful, point the finger at them and say, the trouble with you people, you just haven't been saved. Don't do that. Don't do that. Because if they say, okay... So I'm not saved. What do I do now? Well, you, you lead them to Christ. And uh, they say, 
Well, I did that the first time. So, so if it didn't work then, why should I think it worked now? A lot of pastors, especially if they have a slightly legalistic bent or if they get impatient with their members, want to dismiss them and say they're just not converted. They're just not converted. Not good to do that. I'm not saying that maybe sometimes they haven't been converted, but maybe it's more likely that they need you to be bigger than that and, and affirm them. Yes, they are saved. Uh, when I was at Westminster Chapel, some of you may or may not know this, uh, back in 1982, 83, 84, uh, I had six of 12 deacons turn against me. Six of 12. And they tried to get me fired, and I'd be thrown out on the streets, and that's what they wanted. It would have been the easiest thing in the world to say, you know, these six deacons aren't saved. They were saved. I know they were saved. I, you know, they had other problems. I never questioned whether they were saved. <laughs> Their problems were they were influenced by Judaizers. <laughs> Some of them, that's really quite true. The point is, don't tell your backslidden church members, uh, your problem is you just aren't saved. Don't do that. Paul doesn't do it. He affirms them. And, you know, I've had people come in the vestry to see me, and they just say, well, I can't possibly be a Christian. And then I would say to them, well, now tell me, if you stood before God and he were to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Well, I would just say because Jesus died for me on the cross. And I'd say, well, that's what I'd say. You're as saved as I am. Dr. Kendall, are you saying that maybe I'm really saved? I said, you're as saved as I am. The weight that would come off their shoulders. This is wonderful. And it makes them more than ever want to serve the Lord. As opposed to saying, you're just not saved. Well, let's get down here on our knees and let's pray. You know, that, this is Paul's way and uh, his, his approach. Uh, he doesn't say the problem with you is you're not saved. He says, I plead with you, brothers. He calls them brothers. Chapter 4, verse 12. His fear is that their love for God was compromised. He says in verse uh, 9 of chapter 4, now that you know God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable principles? Do you want to be enslaved by them all over again? He's reasoning with them to win them back. The Galatians did not have a Jewish background, only that of a godless, secular world. And yet they were flirting with what brings bondage, whether it's the lostness of one's pre-converted state or legalism. They were even observing special days, probably the Day of Atonement. They didn't even know what that was, but they're observing it now because the Judaizers said, you've got to do this. Their love for Paul himself had diminished which made it hard for him. You know, he, he, he might have been tempted to say, oh, you're not saved after all. No, 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 no. They once had enormous esteem for Paul. He says, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. What's happened to your joy? Chapter 4, verse 14. Verse 16. Have I now become your enemy because I'm telling you the truth? 
It's always a sad thing when relationships go sour, which were once so sweet. He now shows the next step forward for them to gain their inheritance. Quote, chapter 4, verse 19, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. The way forward to one's inheritance is to become like Jesus. There's no other way. It means character transformation. Now, we could go on a detour here. I won't do that, only to say a big issue, gifts versus character. There are those who say the gifts are what matters. Others say, no, it's character. Well, it's both. Truly, it's both. And if you had to come down on one side or the other, then I would say character. Character is more important than gifts. He wants them to imitate him. He became like a Gentile. Quote, I became like you. What he means is become as free from the law as I am, just as I once lived like a Gentile to reach you with the gospel. Paul did not take himself seriously. He says to them, chapter 4, verse 12, you have done me no wrong. The important ingredient in leadership is not to take their rejection personally. This was the thing about Samuel, the great leader. God said to Samuel, let them have their king. They haven't rejected you, they've rejected me. Well, Paul, uh, Samuel could have said, they, they're, they're rejecting me. No, 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 says God, they're rejecting me. And uh, Samuel wouldn't take their rejection personally. And you must learn this as pastors, as leaders, don't take it personally. Don't take it personally. He says, you've done me no wrong. All right. We'll talk a minute about circumcision. You know what? I think I won't. Because uh, I've got to just decide what to do. We've got about... Uh, nine minutes left. I'm going to pass over that. Um, let's go to the flesh and spirit. What we have here is a caution and a promise. The caution is do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. The promise is live by the Spirit, walk by the Spirit. All right, we are put on our honor by our Heavenly Father. We honor our freedom by showing gratitude and demonstrating love. Uh, uh, Nick Ant and I had a conversation the other day, and we're knowing that I was coming here on this Friday, and we wonder how best to, to use the time. And uh, Nick wanted me to speak on gratitude. And then he also wanted me to preach on total forgiveness. And, uh, and I said, well, maybe I can do both. I'll just take a minute on gratitude. 
The doctrine of sanctification is the doctrine of gratitude. Sanctification is what you do to show you're grateful that you're saved. Sanctification is not what you do in order to be saved. Sanctification is not a condition of salvation. If you think that sanctification is a condition of salvation, then you will be trusting your sanctification every time to believe you're saved. As long as you let it enter your mind, unless you're sanctified, you couldn't possibly be saved, you will never be trusting Jesus, but you'll be thinking, am I sanctified today? If I, I've got to be doing this, 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 this. And the, then that's where you lose your joy and you're back under the law. Dr. Lloyd-Jones used to say the law doesn't save and the law doesn't sanctify. Sanctification is like the P.S. at the end of a letter. You're saying, thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. But having said that, you need to know. I'm going to give you three things and I'm going to ask you, if you don't mind, to say them out loud. Wait till I finish. First, God loves gratitude. Second, God hates ingratitude. Third, gratitude must be taught. Here we go. Everybody, God loves gratitude. God hates ingratitude. Gratitude must be taught. So even though sanctification comes from a grateful heart, the Apostle Paul takes the time to show them how you will show gratitude. And it is this, that you don't use your freedom to indulge in the sinful nature. You're put on your honor. And we honor our freedom by showing gratitude and demonstrating love. You see, let's face it. What I have taught today, justification by faith alone, can be abused. And not only can it be abused, it has been abused. Paul experienced it. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5, where a woman and a man, a, a, a man and his stepmother, were sleeping together. A man sleeping with his stepmother. And they were saying, oh, well, we're saved. We're saved. Now, you might have thought that that kind of abuse would so intimidate Paul that he would say, well, I've got to quit preaching this. No, he wrote Galatians. He wrote Romans after that. He didn't change his doctrine one bit. He didn't change his doctrine one bit. They're going to, they're, you're going to have people that will abuse it. Sadly, they will abuse it. What are we to do? We must teach gratitude. You need to teach sanctification. But do so in a way that they know they're doing it out of gratitude, not in order to earn their salvation. All right. He warns them. He warns them. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. 
Uh, destruction means ruining your life. And, get this, will lead to loss of inheritance. Because he says in chapter 5, verse 21, those who live like this, works of the flesh, will not inherit the kingdom of God. It means loss of reward, and it means the loss of hearing. This brings in Hebrews 5 and 6. I'm going to wait and see if anybody asks me about that one, because uh, if you don't, fine. If you do, I'll answer it. But I want to move on. Living by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. But I need to say this. Walking by the Spirit is an act of the will. After a while, we're going to close the day by talking about forgiveness. And I hope all of you will stay for it. It could be the most important word I will have said all day long. Most life-changing message I've got. Change my life. It will change yours if it hasn't happened to you. Total forgiveness is an act of the will. Walking by the Spirit is an act of the will. You don't just say, Lord, I just want to be led today to walk by the Spirit. Do you pray about whether to go to work when you get up? Do you pray about whether to brush your teeth? There are some things you do. And walking by the Spirit, you do it. You don't say, well, you know the old uh, spiritual, they used to sing in America, every time I feel the Spirit moving in my heart, I'll pray. Look here, if I waited until I was moved by the Spirit to pray, I doubt I'd pray over twice a year. I don't wait till I'm led. I do it. So is walking with the Spirit. Don't say, I just feel led to walk with the Spirit today. Listen, that's a 24-hour day uh, task. Don't wait until you feel led. There's some things you do. Well, uh, I've got one minute. How shall I use one minute? Only got about eight more pages of notes. Well... You know what? I think we'll just quit. <laughs> I, think, I think I've done enough. And uh, I'll just say God bless you. And uh, we'll, we'll come back in 50 minutes or so. And you can ask any question. Things I've been unclear on or anything I haven't answered. And then we'll close with total forgiveness. Okay, Nick. Thanks, Orti. Uh, Orti was reminding me somewhere about Martin Lloyd-Jones saying don't let anything get between you and the cross run to the cross if you can't run walk if you can't walk crawl and if you can't crawl just look to the cross and I think on behalf of all of us already I want to thank you for showing us Christ and the full extent of the freedom we have in Christ there's a body of uh, scholars and ministers out there today not, not our enemies but who are trying to persuade people not to be Saved through the law, but now that we're saved, the moral code will lead us to righteousness. And I want to thank you for maybe in Michael Eaton's words showing us that as we walk by the Spirit deliberately, we fulfill the law accidentally. And Father, we pray that you would bless RT with energy and strength for this afternoon, and uh, you would continue to pour out your love into our hearts through your word and the anointing of your Spirit in Jesus' name.